0: The Graham Norton Radio Show. How exciting is this? With Waitrose. Over on Virgin Radio. Up and Adam, come on, things to do.
1: Don't cheer, you'll just embarrass yourselves. We're not bored of it yet, so it's lovely. There's no stopping them, no stopping them. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Oh, there's nothing nicer, is there? Nothing
0: nicer. With Waitrose, food to feel good about. I mean, what's not to
1: like? Saturday and Sunday from 9.30. Over on Virgin Radio. Nobody is more famous and for more things than our next guest. From single leg squats to silver screen to Senate to self help, he's won them all. His new book, Be Useful, Seven Tools for Life, is out now. So come with me if you want to live better. As we say, Hasta la Virgin to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Good morning, Arnie. Good morning. I have never been introduced more dramatically. Come and this, on. See, you really know, and and I became senator too. Yes, you yeah, did. I went from governor to senator. Why not? That's hey. fantastic. I love that. You're adding on to yeah. my resume. Next stop, Thank
0: President. Thank you so
1: much. Yeah, next stop, yeah, the, the White House, you're, Arnold. You get your 10 i'm greek he's greek oh you're greek yeah automatically you come with a tan yeah that's how it
0: works oh man i
1: hate that (laughs) when i was in bodybuilding i sometimes lost bodybuilding competitions because i had no tan yeah i know yeah too much oil not enough tan and then i I go to america and all these bodybuilders had a really great tan you know so it's very important to look really good on the stage and have more muscle separation and definition so you were born with the ten. Lucky yeah, you.
0: But without the muscle. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you that, you that and he together would to, to, be perfect. Yeah. Uh, all right, so last night you were at the Palladium. It was sold out. Uh, they loved you. How was it for you? It was fantastic. You know, I had a really great time. Um, it was great questions. The audience was really full of energy. Uh, there was... It was it really spectacular. And as I was saying to the audience there, that... Uh, it reminded me somewhat on a time when I came first to London in the 60s, when I was competing in bodybuilding at the Mr. Universe contest. It was the uh, the, the Victoria Palace, which is a theater here in London, where the Mr. Universe contest was always in. And, um, and uh, you know, there was like this standing ovation and people screaming, Arnold, Arnold, Arnold because I was kind of the, the biggest young bodybuilder. I know I was the only one with 20-inch biceps, and, and I never have seen anyone with the age of 19 like that. This goes back to 1966. And there was really this great, great energy in that auditorium. And yesterday I saw that, except there was a bigger auditorium. Uh, that one held, I think, around 2,500 people. Wow. And, um, and it was packed. It was sold out, and uh, everyone had their books in the hand, you know, be used for, which was really a great vision, just to see that. Did you just bridge my first question? Which is what? Did you bridge my first question? No, I don't bridge right now. <laughs> I, I <laughs> let you know. I let you know when a bridge. It's in the book, isn't it? Exactly. Bridging that's right. is the yeah. thing, man. Exactly. I'm well, to tell you. That sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> uh, and I tell you why because it's, it's very good that you brought that up because <laughs> in the in the old days, I would. He's uh, bridging
0: again. This is a bridge of the bridge. No, no, but I mean, I was
1: I was doing interviews. And I would go on a talk show and uh, I would try to promote my movie, let's say Stay Hungry, yeah. which was one of my first movies that I did. And they would ask me, so how long have you been working out? When did you start working out? But I wanted to talk about the movie. So I had to smoothly bridge <laughs> over. So I said, Well, I started with fifteen. I said, but I never thought that my muscles would be so useful. In a movie like in stay hungry when i did this movie there was very they, they required that that they, i have a mr universe physique and there was sally fields there and jeff bridge and i started talking about the movie rather than about my workouts and stuff like that so that was bridging so over what
0: the- i do as an interviewer i do the reverse bridge and uh-huh. The reverse bridge is I met. Well, so, when you come in, you sit down, I talk about your book, I talk about it throughout the whole show, hoping that you're listening. So, you're thinking, I don't have to crowbar the book in here. This guy's happy to talk about it. So, I do the reverse
1: bridge. Ah, you like it? Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay. Be useful. Seven tools for life by Arnold Schwarzenegger. And only for the bridge here. And within each of these um, chapters are also mini tools because there's the tool. There's the tool shop, and then there's all the shelves with all the little tools
1: on. That's right. It's exactly, so cool, yeah. Arnie. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much.
0: And we get lots of people in on this show talking about these books, which is why I know. And I thank your team greatly for including us on your tour. Um, and we know people who are faking it till they make it. And we know books that are simple and we know books that are clever and we know there are chances and people who've never really done anything apart from write self-help books. So what do they know, really? But your book is Route 1. It's root 1 and it goes there and it's brilliant. And it's reverse engineered because these are tools you've discovered. You didn't have them in the first place. They evolved throughout your life from being a little boy to being where you are now, sitting in front of me at the age of 76. But what's amazing about them is that you are the proof in the pudding because you've lived a life and these tools work because you're here today.
1: Well, I tell you, I'm not the person that studies. I never studied the self-help books or motivational books and all of that stuff. I never read one as far as that goes. And the the, the tools that I'm talking about there is just simply stuff that I've learned, like you said, over the years that worked for me. How to became uh, how I became a bodybuilding champion. Yeah. Then it worked to get into show business and become a leading man in show business where everyone said it's impossible, you would never be able to do that. And the men said it's impossible to go and become governor, I did that. And so I learned along the way what is it that made me successful? You know, how... It is how important it is to have a clear vision, for instance, and to have a dream that you can chase because then the work that you have to do becomes much more fun. Because remember that 78% of the the people don't love their work. They hate their work. And so there's an America statistic. And uh, so I feel bad for those people. And that's because they have no direction. They don't really have a goal, a specific goal that they're striving towards. So I always had a goal, very clear goal. And that's why it was always fun for me to work out five hours a day or to train for the movies and the rehearsal, to do the stunt practice and the accent removal classes and all of the kind of stuff that you had to do, that I had to do in order to get into the movies and to work my ass off on that. And also, you know, to run for governor and to learn... All kinds of new things about policy and politics and stuff that they did not know and this is why I want the governorship is the same rules I have used over and over and so I wanted to kind of like put those rules together and those tools and put it in a book and, and you know I never really thought that I'm gonna write a motivational book it was just that people after my speeches around the world they said, why don't you do a book on this? Uh, this is such wonderful motivation that they give to the kids. Write a book. And so eventually they convinced me they, and they wrote this book. Yeah,
0: rules equal tools. And the the the, the, um, the the absence of rules and tools, well, then they probably equal fools. I would go as far as to say that. You talk about sacrifice. And you talk about discipline. You've been asked about this. And you said in the first half of your life, there was no sacrifice. There was no need for discipline because you had nothing to sacrifice and you were loving everything you were doing anyway. So there was no need for discipline either. And obviously, since, you know, life changes and that's different. You talk about that in the book. The first um, chapter in the book, the first tool for life is have a clear vision. It's really interesting this because it can go for you and it can't go against you, but you can get it wrong. And Arnold has experienced both these things. So he had a clear vision as a child of what he wanted to do. And that can't be wrong because that's your vision. That doesn't exist in the world. You cannot get that wrong. People can tell you it's wrong, but it it's not wrong because it's your, you're the author of that. However, you can also have a vision of something that exists, which can be wrong. For example, um, London, being as you envisioned it to be, but Los Angeles not being as you envisioned it to be. That was interesting.
1: Yeah, well, it it was uh, very interesting because I had my impression of what I've read and what I've heard and what I saw in documentaries was when I thought about America was like high rises everywhere and six lane highways and all this stuff, what it was, certain places but not everywhere so when i went to venice california there were no high-rises in, in california they don't build really high-rises it's because of the earthquakes so they're building much flatter and much lower structures and most of them are built out of wood and not out of brick and out of mortar and out of uh, you know bricks and stuff like that so it was quite different uh, you know i felt it was like little the houses were little. The buildings were little. And I said, where is this? Where are those high-rises? Where are the Empire State buildings? Well, when I then went to New York there, I saw it, of course. You know, oh, plenty of it. That's where it is. Yeah, exactly. But not in Venice, California, where Gold's Gym was. And I also thought that the gyms would have, you know, carpeting, and they would have chrome equipment and all this. And there was this Gold's Gym that had kind of like this crude equipment that was made by Joe Gold, and it was like black and steel, the floor was cement. I walked around barefoot in the cement floor, and it was just, everything was much more rough <laughs> and quite different than what I envisioned. And so, Muscle
0: Beach was closed.
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Muscle Beach was closed but now. Venice Beach became kind of the new place yeah. for bodybuilders to hang out. They built a weightlifting platform in Venice, and so we worked out there to get a tan at the same time. And to do my second workout was always on, on uh, Venice Beach but Muscle Beach you're right in the late 50s early 60s they closed that yeah and uh, but that was really the place to be in the 50s and 60s it's
0: open again now we must point out and Gold's Gym now does look like Arnold thought it may have looked back then
1: now it does yes it yeah. does it's now, massive now, now, now it's like a shopping now it mall. has uh, more modern machines <laughs> and there's also the old machines but more modern machines and you machines still now. go there all oh, yeah, the time oh I, I still go on there on your bike every day
0: it's amazing, Every man. Every day, yeah. I go love in it. The back,
1: yeah. it's a, you know, I mean, I'm addicted to working I out. Know. Because it kind of feels so good. And what's interesting is I always tell people, and I talk about this in the book, that uh, when you get up in the morning, I always say to people, don't think. Yeah. Just get up in the morning. And do your exercise. Yeah. No decisions. You know, don't decision, don't uh, you know? Start thinking about should I, should not, I on any of those kind of things. Just go and do it. And that's what I do. I go uh, basically. I get up in the morning. I feed the animals, and I have you know three dogs. I have the two miniature, uh, one miniature pony, and one miniature a donkey, and then I have a pig. Yes. You know, so I feed the animals. Then I get on a bike. I ride down to the gym. I work out for 45 minutes. I ride back. So when i write down to the gym it is almost kind of like black and white the, the the what i see yeah i get it and because we are not yet really happy Energized. We're not with the program right yeah. but after you work out you know, and after the bike ride back, all of a sudden everything turns to color, <laughs> it's like we're going from a black and white movie to a color movie. And this is why I always tell people: working out is not just to get a muscular body. Yeah. It's not just winning Mr. Olympia. It's not just you know looking like a he-man on a on beach and stuff like that. It's just fantastic what it what it feels like psychologically. Yeah. Because you know, there's there's uh, kind of chemicals shoot into the brain. And it starts making you feel good, and the whole day looks it feels better. Yeah. So this is why I always recommend to people, work out every day. And when you tell me that you don't have time, I go in the book through the hours. Yes. I say, well, the day is 24 hours. Yes. So if you sleep six hours, uh-huh. you have 18 hours left. Yes. We work an average of around ten hours a day, so you have still eight hours left. So don't tell me that you don't have time yeah. to work at and an hour day. And then you grab day. their
0: phone and look at their screen and,
1: time. That's right, screen time. And then you see there's six hours or eight yeah. hours of screen time on that. And so, we
0: are a laboratory. We yeah. so that, you know we need to fire up the lab as early as we can in the morning. Well begun is half done. You know if you don't have your own agenda by breakfast, you're going to be working to somebody else's agenda by lunchtime. Right, right. All that stuff. Yeah. Arnie, you're amazing. We've got an ad break to go to. I've got to take this jumper off. I'm going to feel a bit brighter. Arnie's in the house. It's amazing. We're back in two minutes.
1: Craving some great 80s music? Play Virgin Radio 80s Plus. I want your On DAB Digital Radio. On the app. On your smart speaker. And at virginradio80splus.co.uk. I got my mind Just in the dark. Love Chris Evans. Woo! Love the 80s. Virgin Radio. 80s plus.
0: I gotta tell you, we can now confirm Arnie is as interesting when the ads are on and the microphones are not as when the ads are not on and the microphones are. 100%. <laughs> uh,
1: Arnold
0: Spartanlegg is with us this morning. Arnie, thank you for saying yes to the show. I really appreciate you coming on the
1: show. I love it. I love it. <laughs> You know, I've heard about your show and I was really looking forward to coming on here and to talk to you, not just about the book, but I mean, to just talk to you because you have a great energy. And I I remember on the way over here, I was tuning into your show, right? Right. And uh, I said to myself, everything that I heard about your show is true. You have this great, great energy (laughs) and enthusiasm. And this is what it's all about. So you have enthusiasm because you love what you're doing. And you love what you're doing because you envision yourself as a radio host as a host and that talks to people and entertains people with your stuff right so this is why you have a good time. And this is what I'm talking about in the book also is you got to find something that you're passionate about because then you have a good time. No matter how hard the work is, you will have a good time.
0: We're so lucky, aren't we, to have found that?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: You know, I was going to talk to you about um, about your kids because you were born hungry in so many ways, you know, not particularly, not specifically with food. You could do them with more meat on the table. You talk about that. But you were born hungry. You wanted to get get out of Austria. You wanted to get to America. You had London as a waypoint. You had various people on the way that helped you, which is why you say none of us are really self-made. You know what it means, but you sort of don't know what it means. Um, How, people who listen to this show, uh, we have a great demographic, uh, great ABC1 kind of listenership. You know, their kids may not be as hungry as we were when we were kids. What what advice do you have for them? How have you been with your children?
1: Well, I always tell told my children over the years you got to find your passion and as soon as you find your passion then you will be hungry to chase that dream yeah that, that vision yeah and uh, like for instance my son patrick you know he wanted to be a businessman so he took business classes in school he got his degree in business and uh, so now he's investing money he's uh, building an, an empire himself and at the same time, he's following his passion as an actor. Yeah. And so he's doing terrific as an actor, and he's climbing the ladder. And every time I get together with Patrick, he is enthusiastic about it, and he's full of energy about it because he's chasing something specifically. So this is, to me, the most important thing I always tell people and kids. To get off the phone, get off the iPad, get off the computer and all those machines and just start thinking about what is it that you really want to accomplish yeah. in life because there's so many kids when you ask them i said if this bottle it floats up on the beach and Ginny comes out and says give me your dreams and i will make them a reality what is it they cannot tell you they say well uh, 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 i say, "Well, what do you mean uh, 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 they must have a dream you must have a w-. they don't so then you go into life and through life into emptiness and i compare this in the book uh this is like having the best airplane in the world but if the pilot does not know where he's going eventually he's going to go and crash somewhere yeah he's going to run out of fuel and he's going to crash because he does not know where to go and the same is with life people crash people they are in their 40s and all of a sudden they're unhappy because they don't know what they're chasing and what they're going after so What this book basically does is, it's not for people just that want to be Mr. Olympia or want to be a movie star or a governor or a senator, whatever it is. Just people that want to improve a little bit. Yeah to be a little happier yep. with their life, you know, because happier. this is what I'm trying to do in this book is just to make the ordinary person kind of feel good about themselves yeah. and not kind of like when they get up in the morning, it's all dark and it's depressing. I hate my job. I have to go to work because I have to make a living. No, just let's figure out a way of making you happier and making you feel good about yourself. And everyone can do that.
0: If you chase happy, it will run away. If you pursue anything, it will run away. If you consume things, you become it. But if you, you can always be a bit happier. You can't always be happy, but you can be happier always, which is really important. Our version of your pilot would be, you know, if you don't know where you want to go, any road will take you there. And you don't want to go on any road. You want to go on your road or you want to have an intended road. If you end up being on another road in the end, that's fine. But that's a consequence of an initial target of where you want to go. Um, Chapter three in the book, work your ass off. Okay. I like the way you say it. Can you just say work your work your ass off for us?
1: Work your ass off. <laughs>
0: it's just the best. We've all been yeah. trying to do it, but we start with the V. Work your, but it's not. You've got a W then a V. A work.
1: Well, I mean, well, however, I love it. Just remember, work you know, I should get my money back for my uh, from my uh, accent removal code. I know it's so yeah, funny. Exactly, yeah, exactly.
0: My name's Evans. Can you say work your ass off, Evans?
1: Work your ass off, Evans. Thank you very much. So I just so you know, <laughs> when I when I oh, by the uh, way
0: message received and understood yeah. when
1: i um got into working in hollywood yes you know i had to take this accent removal which is classes. hilarious it's hilarious so i ran around you know because we're talking about the w and the v yeah because we in germany we don't have a w but like wine yeah. so we say vine yeah just like a bit v Why not? even though we spell it a bit, a bit of w but i mean it's a it's a, it's a volkswagen exactly volkswagen exactly yeah, Wagen, yeah. so i mean and, and so I had to run around and keep saying the line, a fine wine grows on a vine. A fine wine grows on a vine. Right. So over oh, and over oh, and over. Was this oh, pre this is yo, way pre absolutely, yes. This is in the 70s when they hired this guy Robert Easton was his name. He was like a speech coach, right. an accent removal coach, and he also taught actors how to have an accent for a movie. And so the other line I remember was like, the sink is made out of zinc. <laughs> <laughs> because we don't have the vibrating Z sound, you know, like a zoo. Zinc, you know. So, so we had to kind of say because we just said that the sink is made out of zinc, you know, oh I
0: think the sink is made out of zinc. Th- exactly. That's oh dear.
1: Right. Also zinc, <laughs> exactly. Or, or three instead of three. It's a nightmare you know, so, for you, so, it? it was a nightmare. So I had to say th- it, three thousand three hundred and thirty-three and one third.
0: Control <laughs> round of applause for that. Come on, control round of applause. That took a lot of effort. <laughs> Yes, Arnold.
1: Who are these people? I don't know.
0: I don't know. I think they're just passing through.
1: Oh, yeah. That's unbelievable. It's
0: <laughs> pretty good man. Yes. Uh, in the chapter, Work Your Ass Off, uh, you recount a story from your good pal, Muhammad Ali, who mm-hmm. was a friend of yours. Right. And you're working out. Ali's working out with him. And Ali says, um, don't you count your reps? And Ali says, not until it begins to hurt.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well I mean he had he had this unbelievable waistline and not only a slim waistline but when he got punched, remember in boxing, they hit you below, right? I mean they they go upstairs down they what they call they upstairs, downstairs, upstairs, yeah. downstairs. Yeah. So they hit you low, you know, to, to kind of uh, make you run out of breath and yeah. all this. And um and so he had to kind of take a lot of punishment. Remember the fight, George Foreman yep. against Ali? Yep. How many times uh, Foreman hit him in the waist? And he flexed his abs, and he could sustain the punishment. Yeah. But how did he get there? So I asked him, I said, so how many reps do you do? I mean, we in bodybuilding, we do a 1,000 reps a day. How many do you do? And he said to me, he says, eh, I don't stop counting. I don't start counting until it hurts. Wow. So that, to me, said everything about his training yeah. because... We in bodybuilding also have such a thing as kind of like do your reps until it burns, until it hurts, until failure, and then force out another few reps. Yeah. Because that's when it grows. That's when your muscle grows, yeah. when you force out the, the, the force reps. It. When you force reps, exactly. And so, what I want to make people understand is this is not just in bodybuilding or in any training for any, any sport. Physically, in order to really grow and to go to perfection is you have to go through the pain period and you have to go through the torture. But the mind is the same way. The more we take our mind through torture and the more you can sustain punishment and the more misery can sustain, the stronger you will get and the stronger your character will get. And so this is why I always tell people there will be moments in life where you will struggle. There will be moments in life where you will cry. There will be moments of life where you kind of just say, why do I have to go through this? But go through it, because it only will make you stronger. It's like Nietzsche said, that what does not kill you will make you stronger. And I've seen it over and over. And this is why I talk in my book about failure, because yes, failure is painful. Yes, we suffer through it when you lose a competition or when something goes wrong with you in, the, in your personal life and you're screwed up or whatever it is, you know you're down, on yeah. the ground, but you have to go and get up again. Yeah. Losers stay down, but winners always get up dust themselves off and keep going you go through these painful periods but it will make you stronger and you learn from your mistakes you learn from your losses that is an important message that i mentioned in the book also
0: so my version my favorite version of that along with yours is the hard way is hard but the easy way ends up being harder just
1: go hard that's right Absolutely. There's no shortcut. That's why I say work your ass off Yeah, because that's what it takes. You have to work, work, work. We have 24 hours a day and they can work. When I went to America in bodybuilding, there was no money. Yeah. It was not like football or soccer or tennis or golf or Whole baseball movies, yeah. or, or something like that. We had to kind of like make a living. So I was out there. Imagine I was working out five hours a day and I was working construction work and... At the same time, I went to school, I went to college. And at the same time at night, I went to acting class. Yeah. So I was doing everything. And um, you know I loved it because I knew where I was going. Mm-hmm. I knew my acting classes would eventually take me to acting and being a leading man and all of this stuff. So I loved doing all this work. But for me, the day was literally 24 hours a day. Yeah. And just mercilessly, I would go after it. just chase my dreams
0: yeah and people who don't know and i don't want to preach i'm no one to preach at all i'm never going to throw stones because i've lived in a glass house most of my life but if you go lots of people think if you go and have a workout you go for a walk you know obviously then you're going to be tired you're gonna need to rest it's the opposite energy begets energy the more energy you use the more energy you then seem to have from somewhere else they say you get what you give, but you don't get it back. You just get more of it to give again. That's
1: right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so this is why I, I talk about it in the book is, is how can you become more successful? How can you become more motivated and go after your goals? I mean, it's like, I, I mentioned a, a story about this guy, Hillary, right? That climbed Mount Everest, the first guy to climb Mount Everest. And when he was up on the top, they asked him, I said, what was it like being on top? And to finally, finally reach this peak. And he said, I looked around and I saw another peak. And I immediately started making a plan on how to climb that peak. So that's what it is about. The higher up you go, the more opportunities you see, and the more you get motivated then to go and climb that again. And so to me, when I was up there in bodybuilding on top, I said, okay, now I have a chance. I've gotten a certain kind of a name and reputation and stuff like that. I'm going to go now after acting. So I saw that as the new peak, yeah. and I chased uh, after that, even though everyone said, oh, your accent will never work, you know, you will never become a leading <laughs> yeah. man, your name is too long, your body is too big. I mean, they had all kinds of excuses. Yeah. Why not? But I you know, I didn't listen to the naysayer. And that's one of the things I talk about in the book, don't listen to the naysayers. Yeah. There's enough people out there in the world that will always try to discourage and say, it will never happen, yeah. this is impossible. In all this. But I said, you know, like Mandela always said, everything is always impossible until someone does it. And that's the way I feel. I can be the first one that breaks this new ground and and goes out and does it. So I became the first guy that had an accent and that made it in the movie business and it made it big.
0: What I love about your naysayer section in the book is... um, Obviously, you know, you could say, well, that's really one naysayers, don't listen to the begrudges, you know, fudge the begrudges, whatever. But then Arnie gives it the twist. And this is why the book is brilliant. This is why the book is brilliant. Be useful, seven tools for life, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's brilliant because then Arnie goes on to say, but most of all, don't listen to the biggest naysayer of all, which is yourself.
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. You know, I I talk about that there's people that make a plan. And they say, I want to, to go and get into movies. And then they say, and if this doesn't work out, I have a plan B. So I say, well, wait, wait, wait a minute, hold <laughs> it. I said, if you have already all the naysayers out there that says you would never make it into the movies. And now you say, if I don't make it, I have a plan B. That means that you are doubting yourself that is the most dangerous thing of all it's not the other people saying <laughs> no and you can't make it you yourself are doubting that is a real attack on your goal yeah and so be very very careful with that because it's much better not to have a plan b and to just say i'm gonna go and execute plan a yeah and i know 100 percent that i can do that i have a very clear vision Yes, I have to work my ass off. Yes, I will fail many times on the way to get there, but I will get there. Yeah. And this is exactly the way I felt. I knew that I could be another Clint Eastwood or another Charles Bronson. These were the big guys in the 70s, right? So I was kind of like idolizing them. And, uh, I, and Reg Park, yeah. British bodybuilder that was, was doing Hercules movies. Reg Park, yeah, exactly. But I mean, Reg Park, he was like, my idol yeah and so you know i wanted to be so i saw this very clearly but i never really felt that i should have a plan b as a matter of fact i talk about an incident in there where they came to me after i started business in in california and all that and i became known in the bodybuilding world and fitness world as a guy with brains and with the business knowledge they offered me to be the manager of a gymnasium chain in california and they offered me $200,000 back in the 70s. Wow. Now think about how much money that is. Right? I turned it down. The reason why I turned it down is because I said to myself, my dream is to become a leading man in movies. And if I start working in the gymnasium chain 10, 12 hours a day, I would not have the time to train to become the greatest bodybuilder of all time. Nor would I have time to go and take my acting classes and stunt classes and accent removal classes and speech classes and all of those kind of things. So this would be actually in my way and I would not be able to reach my goal. So I turned it down and they could not believe it until 10 years later, after I've done Conan and after I started getting a million dollars a movie, they said, you had a vision. I mean, that you turned down $200,000 because you knew eventually you going to get a million dollars and $5 million and $10 million and $20 million for a movie. Wow. Keep going. It's amazing because the, the, the standard changed. In the 70s, a million dollars was the highest paid. Kind of, there was like Clint Eastwood, Charles Bronson, Malon Brando. These were the guys, Warren Beatty maybe, that got a million dollars. So this was my goal. But then by the time I got there, you know, then I was in the The, the salary was $10 million. Yeah, yeah. So I remember that Sly was getting $10 million you know, for Rocky too. And then I said, oh, well, this is a new goal. I have to go and get $10 million. So you know, now by that time, I was already getting a million and a million and a half and $2 million uh, a movie but the new goal was 10 million. Yeah. And then by the time I we, I got 10 million, then the new goal was 20 because now guys were getting 20. Yeah. So I was was kind of a little bit behind, and but eventually I caught up, and then eventually I got more money than anyone else. I got the 30 million dollars for Batman and Robin and for other movies at at a certain point and points and process, participation, and all of those kind of things. So I reached all my goals and went beyond my goals. It was really fantastic. So it just shows to you that if you stay in there and if you fight it out and battle it out and if you're willing to fail and to just get up again and to dust yourself off and to go after it, it can be done.
0: Yeah and the twin story we don't have time for the twin story now but the twins negotiation is another amazing negotiation which is tear up the real book let's go again let's go all in ven sean shon, shon. Uh, i'd never done a comedy before it was a risk anyway so let's take a risk financially and well the rest is history yeah, exactly they don't do deals like that in hollywood anymore and it's all down to he invented them and you also put pay to them in a way didn't you i suppose uh right Where should we go next? Arnie, Arnie, Arnie. Um, A vision. I had a vision for this interview. I think you have to have a vision for the interview. You have a vision for the book. Um, One of the things I wanted to ask you in the interview is we have, I originated 10 years ago, a writing competition for children. Mm -hmm. And I called it 500 Words, right? So they have to write a story in 500 words or fewer. And we put it out to schools in the UK and they loved it. And then the queen, Queen Camilla, she became my partner, right? So she's the head judge currently in that competition. Mm -hmm. And we, that's the queen and I, and I can say this because it's true, right? The queen and I want to give this competition to you to start in the US. Would you consider doing that?
1: Yes, I would look into it right away, sure. If it works really well here, it works.
0: We it's been doing for, going for 10 years. We have millions of kids that have entered. Some kids who entered the first are now professional writers. And for what
1: age is that?
0: Two categories it's uh, five to eight and eight to 13. Yeah. And it's unbelievable. And it's the stories fantastic. are great. Because
1: I tell you why because I have one of the biggest after school programs I know. in the United States. I know. And so we are like in 50 uh, some cities all over the United States, and we reach out to like 150,000 students. And uh, we have, uh, you know, in California, literally every school has after-school programs. And so I think it would be a big hit I would try that. I would go and look into it right away. The Queen would
0: like to meet you to talk about it. Okay. And that is official from the palace. Yeah,
1: yeah, no. Thank you. Is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. Okay.
0: It was Oprah
1: or you or Oprah and you? You decide. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, (laughs) Ah, ah. I don't need Oprah for that. Okay. Um, I've so far done all my moves without Oprah, (laughs) uh, even though I have to say that I'm a big admirer. I was going to say, not
0: many people can say, I don't need
1: Oprah. Can I just tell
0: you, Arnie, for the record, I do need Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) I need all the Oprah and all the Arnie I can get. So no, listen. no, but I,
1: I admire her. Yeah. You know, of I'm a big did. admirer because no, remember I know, I know her since She's nineteen amazing. since nineteen seventy nine. She's
0: amazing. You were on her since show really ni- early on. In, in
1: nineteen seventy-nine I was on her show when she asked me, How do you do you think anyone can become great? Do you think anyone can become successful? I mean, what's the trick to become successful? She asked me. Yeah, yeah. You know, and she just couldn't believe it that I was becoming successful. Yeah. And uh, I told her, I said, yeah, you can become successful. You can have your own show and all this stuff. And sure enough, she moved to Chicago and had her own show, the Oprah Winfrey Show, and became huge. Yeah. And very, very popular. Not dissimilar. Not a dissimilar mindset. No, no. And and, and which was great because as a black woman, Yeah. you're not only being black, but also being a woman to go and have the number one show. Yeah. It meant doubly as much because yeah. it was a really, it just showed how talented she was and uh, how well read she was and what a great personality she yeah. had. And she also was a good businesswoman.
0: Amazing. I mean, you were talking about your millions before. Um, you made your first million from real estate, didn't you?
1: Real estate, yeah. I didn't want to rely on show business because one of the things that happens to a lot of actors, as you know, is they have to take <laughs> roles in the beginning. They come to you and i remember they came to me and says do you want to play this bouncer i said no i don't want to play a bouncer well uh, there's another part i have for you where you can play a wrestler i said i have no interest in playing a wrestler i said you know what what what, what I, I want to become a leading man not just to be a, an, an actor character actor something like that and uh, so i was able to do that because i already at that point made money from real estate i bought an apartment building and uh, a six-unit apartment building. And then uh, I had a profit of $200,000 after I sold it. I didn't take the money and the profit. I rolled it up to a bigger unit, to a 12-unit apartment (laughs) building. And then you don't have to pay the taxes because you just roll it over and you yeah, don't yeah. take the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then from that the 36-unit apartment yeah. building, and it got bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, it had hundreds of apartments all over Los Angeles. Wow. Right? So I, I, I made my first millions from real estate, office buildings, apartment buildings, and so on. And so I could get into movies and pick and choose what i wanted to do so it was usually just mostly leading characters in streets of san francisco playing a guest starring role or the, the starring role in a movie with you know, kirk douglas and Anne margaret the villain uh, or the chain mansfield story where i played mickey haggie the bodybuilder and then conan the barbarian and so it was very quickly i got up there to the big international movie.
0: Yeah, and that independence, that financial independence. You know, if you don't need the money going forward, and your your decisions aren't money based, often the money then follows because other people who are trying to negotiate with you have to make it about the money. But you don't care about the money, so the only thing they can do is offer you more money.
1: Yeah, exactly. So this is why I just I didn't really care when someone said, "Well, we only have so much money in the budget," nor as it's irrelevant. This is a great. Career builder. Yeah. I'm going to do this part. And this is how I was approached. It was always about what is the quality. Because I said to myself, if you deliver the quality, then the money will follow. Never make money your number one objective and your number one goal. Yeah. Always make quality and reaching out and doing something for the people. I wanted to entertain people. My goal in show business was always, just like in bodybuilding, to go and be appealing to the entire world. Yeah. So when I was competing in bodybuilding, it didn't matter if I was competing in India or if I was competing in South Africa or if I was competing in Europe, You know, I wanted to win. Yeah. You know, And the same was with the movies. I never wanted to make political movies. I always wanted to make movies that, that play well in the Middle East, that play well in Africa, that play well in Australia, in Europe, in America, everywhere around the world because the world is the marketplace. And that was the bottom line. And that's why my action movies penetrated through all of that and became really popular worldwide in all of the countries.
0: And you wrote the playbook, because now they do say, you know, Tom Hanks sells a movie, you know, he gets paid as much to sell these movies as B&M, so does Tom Cruise, but you wrote that book, man.
1: Well, because uh, I remember when I was telling them that I want to go to 10 different countries, to sell Conan the Barbarian, they said to me, that's ludicrous. No actor ever wants to go to those countries. We send them usually to the Cannes film festivals yeah. or to London yeah. or to Rome. Maybe and that's J- maybe it. Japan. Maybe, yes. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, and maybe sometimes to Germany because America, Japan, and Germany were the three biggest markets. Right. So they did that. But to go to 10 countries, I said, well, what about Sweden? What about Holland? What about Italy? What about Spain? And they said, no, we don't normally actors never want to go. I said, well, I want to go. I said, because the world is the marketplace. We got to go and really sell those movies. They said, well, they don't really do well. I said, because they don't do well because you don't send the actors there. You send the actors to Germany and to Japan and to America, and that's it. And they don't I want say, to go either, do exactly, they? No, but I mean, because they say, I don't want to sell. I'm an artist. I'm an <laughs> artist. I create the art. That's such right i mean it's like this nonsense you got to go and sell you got to let the people know that there's this great movie coming out whatever the movie is or or a book or whatever you're selling you got to go and let the people know that's why i have this chapter in the in the book called sell sell sell
0: and you're the and you're doing the same with the book and that's why you're here and i'm so so grateful i can't i can't thank you enough for including us in the tour you talk about saying no to that gym management you know, and you said that in a heartbeat. You didn't even have to think about that because you'd made a decision, a mission statement about where you wanted to be, which gave you all the answers to all the questions, all the yeses, all the nos. If it gets me closer, it's a yes. If it doesn't get me closer, it's a no. It literally, it's as simple as that.
1: That's right. Yeah, it's, if you, but that's why I say it is important to have a goal. Yeah. Because now you say to yourself, does this fit into this goal? Or does it not? Yeah. It, you, you don't kind of waffle around and you don't kind of like debate over it and uh, maybe I should do it, maybe I shouldn't do it. Does To me, it is not a difficult decision to but make. But it
0: can be tempting and it can be flattering
1: absolutely it can be tempting but it, it, again it depends to me the money was not the objective to me the objective was to reach my goal yeah and i felt if i reach my goal i will make money anyway yeah so this is why to me the most important thing was for me to reach my goal and to always stay focused every day and to make decisions that would get me closer to my goal and to reach this and to make my dream become a reality right
0: arnie you reading your own book okay so imagine somebody else has written it and you're reading it Chapter two, Never Think Small, okay? The Netflix documentary was awesome. Athlete, actor, American, and now you're sort of an activist. If it has to begin with A, we'll go activist, we'll go guy who's going to be useful. Obviously, we all want you to be the next president. Obviously, you can't be because of the Constitution, but you've never let anything like that stop you before.
1: That's right, but, I mean, uh, I said to myself, I have accomplished everything because of America. Uh Uh-huh. So why would I complain about and be the upset about this, yeah, one, because it's of a this good one kind of a thing that I can't do? It's a good you know, answer. And uh, so th- 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 I'm perfectly fine with that. And I always tell everyone in America, yeah. all the political leaders, yeah. Democrats and Republicans alike, if they ever need anything from me, I'm always there. Yep. It doesn't matter what party it is because I want to serve the American people. Yeah. No matter what it is, if it's environmental issues, if it is uh, healthcare issues, education issues, whatever it is, uh, or fair elections, uh, good political practice, you know, uh, all of those kind of things. Like, for instance, to give you an example, in America, we have sometimes situations where the conservatives don't want to allow blacks the access to vote. Well, that really me off, right? Because... I'm a person that uh, feels that if not everyone participates in the voting process, then we can never have a really fair and good election. So this is why I want to make sure. So I donated you know, millions of dollars to open more voting booths in the South. Where they close down some of the voting booth so I get involved in those things because I'm passionate about it. As an American, I want to make sure that everyone has the right to vote. Yeah. So those are the kind of things I get involved with. If it's education issues or it's is the voting rights issues or whatever it is, so I want to make sure that we that everyone has a fair chance.
0: Yeah, well, p- politically, people are left or right or somewhere in between, but from a day to day point of view, we are north to south, and we're always having to be people. We're only sometimes having to be political, and that's. What a lot of politicians don't understand. We're always living. We're sometimes thinking politically. They've got to meet us all in the middle. So, and I know that's what that's your that's your playbook again. And I also know that during the pandemic and various other issues, um, people said, can, "Can you can you help us front this campaign to raise money?" And you said, "Well, the first thing I'm going to do, I can't front it unless I donate, unless I write a check out." You've written big checks for people, haven't you? Oh yes. Minutes uh, later.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I've been involved in a lot of things. Where I donated, you know, millions and millions of dollars. Um, I just recently did it again, um, you know, for the actor strike. Uh, when they called me and they said, you know, there's a lot of actors that are suffering because of this strike, and they cannot make their rent payment or their car payment or the uh, school payments for the children. So I donated a million dollars to those uh, people. So, you know, it's, it's right along with other actors that donated You did money. the same with masks in COVID uh, as well, didn't you? Yeah, with COVID, you know, I remember that everyone was running around saying, we cannot get the masks, we cannot get the gloves, we cannot get the ventilators, we cannot find this and that and all that stuff. I said, that's nonsense. You guys are stupid. If you cannot find it, it's out there on the market. And I got in touch with people that I had contact with and sure within a week We bought the stuff. So I put in a million dollars and I asked other actors uh, to put in a million dollars. We raised eight and a half million dollars in no time. And we got this gear. We got the ventilators and everything, <laughs> distributed it to the hospitals in Los Angeles. They didn't have it. And the governor of California and the president was still running around and says, we can't get it. Yeah. I mean, it's so, you know, so I get involved in those things. But it has nothing to do with Democrat or Republican, left or right, yeah. because remember one thing what Eisenhower said. Come. Eisenhower said that politics is like the road. It's like the left and the right is the gutter. And the center is drivable. Right. That's exactly the way it is in politics. The center is where the action is. This is why I always tell people in the United States, I said, don't fight all the time. Get together because the right has great ideas, the left has great ideas. If you mesh this kind of two great ideas together and meet in the middle... Great stuff can happen. Yeah. So then we can have true immigration reform. We can have true healthcare reform. We can really straighten out and not have this crazy debt of thirty-five trillion dollar debt in America. So you got to solve all those problems, yeah, guys. Yeah. You can't just keep arguing and not solving those problems.
0: It's always been the same, you know. A thousand years ago, in uh, the year twelve hundred, Rumi, the poet, he said, "There is a field beyond right and wrong, and I will meet you in that field beyond right and wrong."
1: It's a great line. It's beautiful. I it? love it.
0: I wonder if people will be reading your book in a thousand years' time. I think they might, you know, because Marcus Aurelius' Meditations is 2,000 years old.
1: Can you believe that? It's just But it just shows to you yeah. that if you give something that really makes sense yes. and that really helps people, that it has a life on its own. You know, it's just people will keep picking it up and picking it up and reading it because what was a problem on how to get your goals achieved 500 years ago, it's the same today. Nothing changes. You still have to have a clear vision. You still have to go and chase that. And Marcus Aurelius had really some great points in his book. I mean, I read it. It was like fantastic. (laughs) I love it. I read it all the time.
0: There's that. There's Dao De Ching. Uh, Arnie, our time is up. You have not disappointed, my friend. Thank you so much.
1: Can I not not stay an extra five hours? No, I'm sorry. We've
0: got to play some rock and roll is what we've got to do. All right,
1: throw me out. Go Uh, ahead.
0: Have the best time at the Royal Albert Hall tonight. Thank you very
1: much. Thank you. I love the interview. You have great energy. You guys are all fantastic in here, in this studio. I'm so happy I decided to come by here. Chris, keep up the great work, okay? Will do. And I promise you i'll be back
0: oh come on <laughs> yes do us one more favor if you don't mind cinch.co.uk sponsor the show can you just say cinch.co.uk if you don't mind in your best cinch cinch.co.uk
1: cinch.co.uk <laughs> one more time yeah,
0: okay, yeah.
1: cinch.co.uk UK. Yes, yes. We'll take oh, it. Jesus. Arnie, Just edit it together, yeah, okay? Yeah, don't worry. We're, okay. we're all over it. Okay.
0: On it a real joy to me? I'll see you on your bike. I'll see you on the boardwalk. See you at uh, the Cow Cafe. See you at the Venezuela. See you around. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be.
1: Thank you. Oh, no
0: everybody. Let's hear it out there. Come on. All right. <laughs> Love music? Love interviews with lovely musicians? Search Virgin Radio UK on YouTube to find brilliant album specials with some of the shiniest lights on our playlist, including George Ezra.
1: This is going to be something i remember, remember. That's a really lovely thing. I don't think I was able to do that in the past.
0: And James Bay. On, don't you agree that everybody needs someone when they feel alone?
1: Watch all that and more at youtube.com slash UK.